Hello guys, hi there. Thanks for tuning in to this week's NTT20 Monday pod. Ali Maxwell here, George Ellick on the line. When we've been doing these Monday pods since the start of isolation, George, it's a little bit weird because we do the quiz results and leaderboard on an Insta Live at 7pm on a Sunday. And this is, I mean, it's a bit more than 12 hours later, but it feels like it's only five minutes ago that we were last talking. How, how are you doing this morning? Yeah, I know you, mate. You just closed your eyes after the uh, after the quiz results yesterday. And you've opened them in your hair now, aren't you? Just a nice little fifteen-hour sleep. But uh, eat. I'm okay. Eat, sleep, NTT twenty, repeat. That's my current um, current life motto. Yeah, I could finally. It was fourteen days of self isolation as of this morning, so I could go on a run today, which is very exciting. Um, very early, but I'm yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm fine, and I'm I'm just. Impressed and proud of your discipline during what's been quite a tedious time for you uh, with some symptoms, but not the main ones. And uh, I'm, yeah, I'm genuinely proud of your discipline in your isolation. So a well-deserved run this morning, which you described to me as annoyingly long. Uh, So you might need to be building up that fitness a little bit. (laughs) Um, Look, on this week's pod, we're obviously at the moment searching for the best topics, the most fun that we can have. Uh, and also a little bit of uh, NTT20 analysis as well. So a couple of weeks ago, we did our top five managers of the season. Last week, we answered some excellent questions that were sent in, including the best team not to get promoted and various others. This week, George, unsung heroes of the mm. EFL is our subject. Why? Where's that come from? Why are we doing it? I think it's something that we do quite a lot anyway, um, is looking for players, managers, stories that maybe don't get the credit they deserve. And, you know, anyone who's listened to this podcast a lot over the past season, at least, will know that the likes of, of Lewis Travis, um, of Sam Basau, these guys who play in, in roles that maybe don't necessarily catch the eye as much uh, if you were to watch a team for 90 minutes in isolation. But over the course of a season, their impact on the club will be significant. And uh you know, every club has them. If you speak to any fan, I mean, even today when we tweeted asking fans for examples of, of their players, you had examples coming from clubs who've had really poor seasons. Mm. And the fact is that everybody knows that they have a player or two normally playing probably in holding midfield, some fullbacks as well, maybe a centre-back or two, um, who are really important to the way that their side play. And if they were to come out of the side, crucially, you may not notice anything in terms of what you're seeing, except for the scoreline and the, and the team performances themselves as well. So I think it's important maybe to shine a light on those people. And also it's quite fun because naturally these aren't guys who are big names. So if we can help shed some light on a couple of League One and League Two players who are set to, to make the step up in the future, even if uh, they're not going to be catching headlines themselves, but because they're good players, then all the better for it. It's an interesting notion, isn't it, of an unsung hero? I think... At a base level, everyone listening who follows football knows what that means and what that is. But then it, it becomes quite fluid, doesn't it? I mean, how how many people have to sing about you until you stop being unsung? How how sung can someone possibly be? How unsung can someone possibly be while also performing very well and being appreciated by their fans? Who is the fat lady and why is she singing? Hmm. And there's a lot of questions that come Uh, with it. I do think that, as you've touched on, there's a a certain profile of player that this suits, shall we say. Normally, potentially not 
the most technical or the most skillful or even uh, in many ways the most uh, physically imposing or quickest, things like that. Uh, often they don't leap off the page in that way. But consistency, uh, intelligence, football intelligence, um, good mentality, good teammates, ever-present, these are some of the themes that you get. But we've picked out a couple of good ones. We've also enlisted uh, two extra voices on the pod. Uh, one of them, Jack Lang from The Athletic, who will be telling us all about one of my unsung heroes and what an interesting career that he has had. And then also one of the players who's been nominated by you guys on Twitter joins us in the League One part. Uh, so stay tuned for that. George, I want to give you the floor to talk to me about your unsung heroes from the research that you've done on this. Yeah, I mean, there are loads of them, obviously. And this isn't a case of <clears throat> of necessarily me picking out the three that I think are the, are the best. Just some interesting cases. Um, and I'm going to start with a player who's recently signed a new contractor, Millwall. And that is Sean Williams, um, who has been a mainstay of, of the Millwall midfield uh, back through the, the Neil Harris era coming up from League One and into their last couple of seasons uh, in the Championship. He came in in 2014 from MK Dons and he, I would say, personifies the gritty midfielder. Uh, he's a midfielder who's very happy to do the dirty work. He's very happy to get stuck in. He's decent defending on the ground. He's decent in the air and he's not a bad footballer. He's someone who can recycle the ball very well. He's a capable passer. Um, I think we're seeing now Millwall playing more of a passing game under Gary Rowett than they did under Neil Harris. And his form has certainly improved in that time as well. Just looking through social media today just to see, you know, I think with these unsung heroes things, if you come up with a player and you have a look through their fans' comments and the fans don't rate him, then you've probably done something wrong. <laughs> and the general consensus here was that Williams probably wasn't going to get any contract to Millwall if his form didn't improve was that they're very happy that he has done so as well. So mm. positive signs there. And just, I mean, I am an absolute sucker, as you know, Ali, as my business partner. Uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for the with or without stats. You are. Um, the uh, the U2 stats, we call it. But they, um, in Sean Williams' case, I mean, it's not as stark as some we pointed out earlier. Dan Barlasser, of course, at Rotherham was one that we pointed out a few months ago as being a key one here. But even so, with Williams... He started 24 games this season for Millwall. He's won 10 of those games. Well, Millwall have won 10 of those games. They've drawn 10 and lost just four. Um, with 40 points from 21 from 24 games. That's 1.66 points per game, which would put them in fourth over the course of a season. Uh, 13 games he's missed. Hasn't been in the starting lineup. He's come off the bench in one of them quite late. They've only won three of those, drawing five, losing five with 14 points. That's 1.07 points per game. So much further down the table than they are. And I hear some of you saying, like, well, obviously, you know, Gary Rout came in and the form improved. So therefore, it's natural that if he came in the side, then they're going to be doing better. But that isn't what's happened at all. Through suspension and injury, uh, eight of the games that Williams missed of those 13 have been under Rowett. Mm. So it just goes to show that their early season form, when they were playing under Harris and not doing particularly well, was when Williams was in the team is when they were performing. Uh, he's just a player who, you know, he's, he's 33 years old now. Uh, he's got four more years to his testimonial out of the 10. Um, but he's just, you know, he's the midfield general for Rowett and, and in a team where Hutchinson, certainly at the back, is quite clearly the, the key defensive player, um, even though I think we had a suggestion for him. Hmm. Um, and Murray Wallace as well, another player, a, a left back who's doing good things. But, and, and there's no doubt about that at all. 
uh, with Jed Wallace being the key goal threat, threat and of course Matt Smith really coming to his own recently. But Williams just seems to me like a player who um, I wouldn't say I necessarily enjoy watching him because it's never particularly pretty, but he's that player that I do think you need, especially for a side like Millwall, who are never going to be up at the technical levels of some of the other sides in the championship, but it still have aspirations to break into that top uh, top six or seven. So just doffing my cap to a, a bit of an EFL stalwart and somebody who you know, has done well to deserve that new contract at age 33. He has got the odd absolute worldy in him as well. He does. Which I like. And that's always, it's almost like he does so much unselfish work for the team. And every now and again, he just gets a bit frustrated and just unfurls one into the top corner. (laughs) Um, We had a lot of people tweeting with the people that they think are their team's unsung hero. We had a QPR fan uh, putting forward Don Ball, uh, who's joined this season uh, for a free with little to no expectations. Been absolutely amazing, says Sam Wilson. A lot of Leeds fans in touch, as you can imagine. Lots of shouts for their captain, Liam Cooper. Now, there might be a sort of more of a philosophical question. Can the captain of the team at the top of the division be considered <laughs> an unsung hero? I do understand, though, that I suppose part of this is what they're saying is Ben White is the one that people always talk about in terms of centre-backs. And Cooper has been doing things uh, just as well, but a little more quietly. Of course, with Leeds, you've also got players that we talk about a fair amount, like Luke Ayling and Stuart Dallas, who fit the bill quite well. Such versatile players fill in the gaps anywhere in the team and, and always provide that consistent performance. Uh, we, we had both Romain Sawyers and Jake Livermore suggested uh, from West Brom. I think Livermore probably fits the bill a bit better because we seem so, to talk about Romain Sawyers every week. So vote leave gets your vote there over vote Romain. Yeah. Levermore gets that. And uh, for Brentford, the one seems to be Christian Norgard. You can understand that. Breaks up play at the base of midfield. He's not a star name, but as signings go, and for the balance of this team, he's been crucial. And I think balance is a good word to remember here. A lot of the players that we're talking about, they don't necessarily fill the stats sheet, shall we say, but they are crucial to the balance of a good football team. I've seen Marlon Pack and Joe Rules suggested as well for Cardiff. Um, George, there are a couple of other suggestions, one of which particularly made you laugh. Yeah, one from uh, from Toby, Toby Maynell, who is a Nottingham Forest fan, tweeting us, Ribeiro, Amiobi, Figueiredo and Worrell. And I must say, it just made me smile because as we know, Forest are the team going under the radar this season. So it's fitting that the team going under the radar have not one, not two, but four players who uh, who are unsung heroes must and he hasn't even mentioned Ben Watson so must be very quiet at the city ground this season <laughs> not a lot of singing going on um, who's your second championship player that you wanted to talk through I, I know that uh, Freddie Cocker who's a Huddersfield fan he put forward Harry Toffolo and Jonathan Hogg as his sort of secondary and tertiary options but there's one name that really caught your eye from Huddersfield and Freddie put him forward as well yeah well it was actually Freddie putting him forward that made me dig a bit deeper because he's a player, uh, sorry, it's Lewis O'Brien, I should say, a player who really came onto our radars. <laughs> Another mention of the old radar. Uh, last season in a loan spell at Bradford. Um, and Bradford had, had a shocking season last season uh, under plenty of managers. But O'Brien was clearly the, um, you know, the, the shining light in that. He was very, very good indeed. Uh, some quotes from from one of the many managers of Bradford last season, David Hopkin, uh, saying that he's been fantastic and was happy, sorry, saying that he um, was enjoying outstanding first season senior football, that he was the driving force and City's pushed to get out of, the red, out of the drop zone. He did an interview with The Guardian towards the back end of that season as well, talking about how he was really relishing being part of the first team squad. And he certainly was 
know, ironically, the Guardian article goes on to talk about how he um, sung a lot, sung 30 times to his teammates during meals during the season. So he was literally singing uh, <laughs> at Bradford uh, and all intents and purposes, but because he was making a big splash there whilst also uh, crooning to his teammates. But it's more this season, I guess, maybe because Huddersfield had such a disappointing start to the season. Uh, but he has been brilliant. And I don't think he's a player who necessarily will be unsung for the rest of his career. He's somebody who can do basically every side of the game really well. He's very, very tenacious, really strong in the tackle, gets around the pitch very well. But when the ball's at his feet, he's also got that bit of quality to go alongside it. He's a decent passer. Uh, he takes a fair amount of risks in the final third as well when he gets there. And he's very versatile. He's played at left back this season. He's played wide left. He's played a holding midfield role and just behind the strikers as well before Emil Smith-Rowe came in and, and took that uh, and took that position. So he's a guy who, at 21 years old, has a big future ahead of him. And I think this is a case of being an unsung player because we're kind of pointing at him before everyone realises what a player he is. And, and I think you and I and most people are expecting, whenever it might happen, uh, that when Huddersfield have a full season under the Cowley brothers, they will certainly be closer to where they want to be towards the top end of the table. Mm. And given what we saw from, from the Lincoln sides of the Cowleys, so keen on having the, this type of player who's strong physically and also adept on the ball, uh, I'm sure that O'Brien's going to have a big, big part to play in that. And, you know, this, is, this might be the first you're hearing of him if you hadn't heard of him before, but will by no means, you know, if we did a podcast in five years' time in Unsung Heroes, I'm pretty sure Lewis O'Brien wouldn't be one of them. Nice touch. We've had a few more suggestions. Jonesy says Pelly Ruddock and Panzu. At Luton Town. We've also got a Blues fan checking in to say Keeftonbeld and the Duke Dukovic uh, are the Birmingham Sun heroes. I mean, I, I feel like uh, I bang on about the Duke all the time. He's one of my favourite <laughs> players in the whole division. So he, none of those are my selection. My selection for this in the championship is actually a goalkeeper. And it's a goalkeeper who plays for Reading and his name is Rafael Cabral to put forward his case as to why I think he fits the bill here. I think within championship goalkeepers, we've discussed how difficult it is to work out who the best is because the very nature of being a second-tier goalkeeper is we have a lot of talented players. Generally, they might be lacking the absolute consistency that you need to work at the top level. A lot of the most eye-catching shot stoppers have also made fairly high-profile howlers. And I dare say over the course of a season, every first-choice championship keeper has probably had one or two big notable mistakes but I think in the conversation this season it's mostly been about Bryce Samba uh, about David Bentley with Bristol City and David Raya with, with Brentford Rodak of Fulham has had some big performances but I think there's a huge case for Cabral being the best goalkeeper in the division this season even with his within his own team and that puts forward his unsung credentials really well he's not the name that Reading fans want other people to hear about they're always talking about John Swift and what a great season he's having over Ajaria, the technical quality that he has and the skill. And Raphael is just bopping along as potentially the best goalkeeper in the championship. I mean, the, the underlying data reflects very well on him. There's a group of goalkeepers who all come out quite well when you look at save percentage and when you look at expected goals conceded um, and the amount of goals that keepers have conceded based on the shot quality and the cumulative shot quality of, of what they've uh, faced and some of those names that I mentioned are up there but so is Rafael Cabral now as if to sort of really round that home 
less underlying, more sort of standard stats is that Reading have faced the third most shots on target in the whole division this season and they've conceded the seventh fewest goals. So you can you can see while there's more to it than just the goalkeeper in, 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 in terms of those very basic stats, you can see that this is a keeper who is saving a lot of shots and so he is my unsung hero. It also helps that he's got a really interesting backstory and I don't know about you, George, but when he signed in the summer... Uh, it, it wasn't necessarily something, let's say, compared to Pushgas, who we'd read a lot about and seen a fair amount. It wasn't something that I considered to be a massive coup. Um, but speaking to Jack Lang earlier, you can see that it was. He's got an amazing background. He was part of one of the, the greatest, most famous Brazilian teams ever, that Santos team with Neymar. Uh, and I phoned up Jack earlier because he's written a piece for The Athletic about Rafael, and he told me all about him. So here's Jack Lang from The Athletic. Now, it's great to have Jack on this pod. We've done a few zonal marking podcasts together for The Athletic, but an NTT20 debut, not a huge amount of South American players in the EFL that Jack could be writing about for The Athletic, but I'm glad you've done Raphael and it's very well-timed, Jack. You, you can tell from the first quotes in this piece that he's a good interview subject, a very a very good start when you ask him about joining Reading and uh, what his first thought was when he was approached by them. He says, man, I won't lie, when I first received the offer, I did think, hmm, do I really want to join a second division team? That, that's got to be a good start. <laughs> Yeah, hi Ali. Yeah, that's right. That was a uh, that was a good signal to me that he was going to be a going to be an honest talker, and he, he was a really nice guy. We we had thirty forty minutes on the phone uh, after he put his kids to bed on one night last week. Really nice guy. Happy to chat about what has been a fairly interesting career, as I'm sure you've mentioned and we'll discuss. But yeah, he was. I think that was an interesting thing because you know, as you've mentioned, he's someone who's played for Brazil, he's, I think even more significant than that is he's won the, the Copa Libertadores, which is yeah. maybe, you know, the, the scale of that achievement is perhaps lost on some people in the UK, but that's, you know, that's a Champions League win, essentially, in South America. He was the starting keeper at 21 and kind of came through the ranks with Neymar and all these other young stars. So he's, he's actually quite a big name in, in Brazil. He was on Brazilian TV, a uh, a couple of months ago, I think, and that was a, you know, kind of a not not a star turn, but certainly something that people were tuning in for. And yeah, interesting guy, and I think he's it's nice to see him doing well at Reading for sure. In the piece, you mentioned that uh, he was regarded as the next great Brazilian goalkeeper. That amazing Santos team that he played for. Tell me a bit more about that team and and his sort of part within the nucleus of it. Sure. Well, Santos as a team, obviously, you know, we we know about Pelé and Neymar. They're kind of they're associated with these individuals, but they've also produced kind of batches of of youngsters who've come through at the same time. So Pelé came through with a few others. There was then a, a generation which was uh, Diego and Robinho coming through together, and then the the most recent set of players was was kind of Neymar. Rafael was one of them. Another one was Paulo Hinki Ganso, who's this kind of mm. great playmaker who never really ended up being what people expected. But um, so on each occasion, they're kind of called the the Meninos da Vila, the 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 boys from the Vila Belmiro Stadium. And yeah, so Rafael was kind of talked about a lot in that generation that came through. Uh, a really really exciting team. That was probably when interest in in the Brazilian league was was at its strongest in at least in my lifetime because Neymar was was becoming a worldwide name this was when he was kind of starting to 
to tear things up in the in the local state championship and then of course they win they won the Libertadores which is a a massive deal as I've mentioned they they actually won six trophies in a three-year spell so it's a really successful period as well but mainly they're just playing they were just playing fantastic football like really really attacking kind of joyful uh daring football and as Rafael said to me, it was kind of a, a distillation of what people wanted to see from Brazilian football. And, uh, you know, anyone who's watched the Brazilian league knows that people don't always get that. But it, it remains uh, it remains something that people are attracted to. So I think that that's probably the uh, it, not necessarily the most durable team I've seen in Brazil. You know, if, if you put that Santos team up against uh, maybe the, the Corinthians team that, that won everything, they, they probably... Yeah, I could imagine them losing, but it was certainly the most entertaining, the most uh, uh, stylistically memorable team. And yeah, Rafael, even though he was a goalkeeper, is very much associated with that. He was the youngest starting goalkeeper ever to win the Libertadores at 21, as you note in the piece. Uh, and the international call came around that time. Of course, now Brazil not lacking in basically the best goalkeepers in the world. Um, but what, you know, Presumably, after that Libertadores win, the, the international clamour was growing. Uh, what happened when he got into the Brazil team? He's obviously got three caps, probably no more since then. But talk me through his, his short international career. Yeah, so his, his three caps all came under Manu Menezes, who was the guy charged with, with renovating the team, really, after the, the first Dunga era. And it was Menezes who bought, brought through Neymar, who, who gave Ganso his debut. Pato, he, he played a bit. Rafael started three games under him. And that was in the run-up to the, the 2012 Olympics. Uh, Rafael would have been the starting goalkeeper for goalkeeper for Brazil then he, he got injured on the eve of the tournament which he, he told me was a you know a, a real kind of turning point for him I suppose international wise then it went a little bit quiet um, but then he, he was back in the squad quite often when he was a regular in the Napoli side under under Rafael Benitez he wasn't a starter but he was uh, usually second or third choice goalkeeper under Dunga at that point and yeah then I suppose by that point, people weren't really expecting him to become, you know, the next, uh, the next big thing. He was kind of just a, a, a steady squad player, but then lost his place at Napoli, and really, is the last three or four seasons have kind of been wilderness years for him. So he's really, been, hasn't... he's been in Italy, firstly with Napoli, where he did play for a little while. But what what happened in Italy is clearly, as you mentioned, with so few appearances over four years, something wasn't going quite right. Yeah, so so he joined under Benitez, and he was he was Pepe Reina's understudy for a year, and then Benitez had, had told him, "Look, you're gonna you're gonna learn from Reina, and then you're gonna be my first choice." And that's how it panned out. The first two years, he had a, a few starts the first year, and then was a regular the second year. But all of that time was kind of disrupted by injuries. He had an ACL injury, and he said actually that even that time when he was Napoli's first choice, he was struggling for confidence, and he, he didn't quite hit the heights that he would have expected of himself. And then uh, Benitez leaves Napoli and Maurizio Sarri comes in. And you know, at this point, I was expecting him to, to to have a real go at Sarri. You know, thought maybe he could have been a, a Gary Cahill figure at, at Napoli. <laughs> someone just yeah, someone who was just completely bombed out because he, he you know just didn't play for two or three seasons. But he said actually, you know, Sarri was he got on quite well with Sarri. Just Sarri preferred Reina. Simple as that. And he it seemed to me like. Uh, 
every every transfer window he kind of was was tipped to move away but didn't quite do it kind of reading between the lines from what he said you know he he mentioned that he had offers but it, they didn't meet his expectations I would, I would imagine that was that was to do with salary and those are those are the reports that were kind of coming out at the time that he was actually on a, a you know a decent bit of money at napoli and maybe maybe the other offers that were coming in wouldn't have offered him and his family the same the same kind of security which is which is of course his right and then yeah just at the end he went to Sampdoria for a season, trying his hand once more in Italy, but didn't really crack into their side either. So, I think when when Reading came calling in the summer, he was certainly looking for a for a new opportunity. And as as he said to me, he'd always fancied playing in England. It was just whether he'd be willing to dip into the the second flight. And yeah, from from what he said, he's loving it. I feel about nine months late in saying this, but basically based on his performances, but also based on his background, which I now know a lot more about, thanks to you. I mean, this is quite the coup, really, for Reading to get this player in, and, and he has proven to be just as good as as well, as well his pedigree, I suppose. He's been fantastic for them this season. Just lastly, on his experiences in the championship, probably the, the, piece, the bit in the piece that I laughed most at were his quotes about the championship. I mean, the, the old cliche that the championship is a tough division and the games come thick and fast and it's very physical, those are basically a given now. Uh, Raphael says... Teams take a lot of shots and there are a lot of aerial balls. Referees don't give as many fouls. It's easier in Italy. You don't get worked as much as a goalkeeper. The last five minutes of a championship game are just mad. There are so many comebacks, late goals. The intensity is different. But I like knowing that I always have to be ready to make a save. I like the adrenaline. So it feels like, uh, from from the quotes in your piece, this is a, a man who, well, quite apart from the amazing career he's had so far, is has been very happy with the move that he made to Reading ultimately. Yeah, I think so. I th- and, and I think you're right to say that uh, you're right to say it was a, a coup, especially because of just psychologically, I think this was someone who, who needed to be playing, who perhaps now feels that, you know, he's, he's 29 feels that he has a point to prove having sat on the bench for so long in Italy. So I think, those things have kind of come together and, you know, he seems very personally motivated. He mentioned he wants to get back in the Brazil squad. He said he wants to get into the Premier League with Reading. And yeah, I think that, that kind of desire has, has been echoed in the performances really. And mm. I think, yes, certainly uh, one of the standout performers from the championship football that I've seen, you know, mm. some of the saves he made around Christmas and new year were just were spectacular. And yeah, I think more more of a piece of what we saw from him at Santos rather than the last few years. So hopefully he's gonna gonna get properly back on track. He's still got two more years on his contract. We are very happy to be covering this Brazilian goalkeeper in the championship. And thank you to Jack Lang from the Athletic for providing us with a bit more depth on his background and his story. Thanks, Jack. Cheers, Ali. As if you needed reminding uh, the Athletic are our sponsors, our partners this season. We do the Going Up, Going Down podcast for them uh, and they also uh, sponsor the Monday podcast. Uh, If you would like to read more about South American football, Jack Lang has plenty of that on the Athletic site. Of course, there's so much other good football writing on there across the EFL but also uh, in the Premier League as well and European football, world football, if you will. There's so much content on there and we can get you 50% off. If you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash nttpod, you get 50% off your annual subscription and you'll be supporting the pod as well. So do check that out today.
It's time for League One's Unsung Heroes. George, you're going to kick us off. Now, I'm currently managing Hampton and Richmond FC on <laughs> Football Manager 2020 in my second season. I'm sure there'll be a chance for us both to provide some FM updates. You as manager of Concord Rangers, of course, both of those teams in the Vanarama South. Now, this long segue is because Hampton and Richmond's nickname is The Beavers. And that's, that's who you're talking about. Yeah, Mark Beavers is my unsung hero, a 32-year-old captain and centre-back, you say? Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, he arrived from Bolton um, in the summer and was one of those players that Darren McAnthony was very keen to coo about um, as soon as they signed him. And A real I coup. Must, I must admit that I, I didn't really see why. He looked to me like that classic kind of EFL centre-back who any inch of pace he may have once had was gone he was falling down the divisions having been you know a loyal servant at Sheffield Wednesday Millwall and Bolton but at the age of 30 certainly on his way back down the footballing pyramid similarly I think it's pretty easy to be an unsung hero at Peterborough if you're not a winger or a striker because they've had six players this season maybe even seven who have come in for massive praise Ivan Tony, of course deserves it as the best player in the division, in our opinion. But you've also had Mo Issa, uh, Marcus Madison, Sammy Smodix, Ricky Dembele, all these players coming in for serious praise. But at the same time, Peterborough's defence, especially recently, has been a big part of their success. You look at the recent run of good form, clean sheets in the 4-0 win against Wickham, a clean sheet away at Accrington, a clean sheet against Oxford at home. And then possibly the most important performance of the season so far, if it ever gets up and running again, was the 2-0 win against Portsmouth last time out. A game in which Beavis himself got massive, massive credit from everyone who was there. John Marquist, not an easy player to mark, not an easy guy to try and keep quiet. The Beavers, by all accounts, had him completely shut up both in, on the ground and in the air. I mean, he's, he's always been a dominant player in the air, Beavers, but here he seems to have just just basically been, because they're such a good attacking side and because they have that reputation of being so, maybe a little bit's been forgotten about the work that's been done in at the back in order to maintain this run of form. Um, you know, he's not necessarily somebody who, uh, you know, he's not the hottest property, let's say, in League One. Um, but at the same time, I think credit where credit's due for a side having a decent season. And when you talk about players who, if they were to come out of the side, it would really impact them. I'm pretty sure Peterborough would probably point to Beavers being the one after Tony who would cause the biggest unrest, especially as he plays alongside Frankie Kent, who's a, obviously a brilliant centre-back as well, but someone who maybe profits from having uh, an experienced, wise head next to him as well. So... Yeah, credit to, credit to Mark Beavers, my League One unsung hero, because I'm not allowed to say Alex Gorin because we'll get bad iTunes reviews. <laughs> well, I'm interested that uh, Gorin would be your go-to because I've had a couple of Oxford fans mention Josh Ruffles as well, as uh, someone who uh, just always provides consistent level of performance, uh, maybe having to adapt his own game in order to suit the needs of, the, uh, of Oxford United. Um, but Beavers is your pick. Uh, my first pick for League One is Tom Naylor, the Portsmouth captain. He, I just think, fits, he kind of ticks every box that I said at the top of the show. Um, this is a player who is crucial to the balance of a Portsmouth team that sometimes needs a bit of balance. And he's crucial to a team 
in spite of the fact that he has a lot of teammates that that take the headlines, a lot of attacking players, and even the centre backs as well, who who get a lot of credit when it comes to Pompey. You don't hear Naylor get a huge amount of credit, but he's such a versatile player. Um, I, I've said it before, I have got a bit of a fetish for players who can play centre-back and defensive midfield and who can basically maintain a, a solid level of performance in both positions because that gives a manager so many options. In, in, in the leagues as they are now, where there are so many different formations being played, so many different styles and systems, it's crucial to be able to switch things up in-game if, if necessary in order to overcome maybe a, a tactical deficiency. And when you have someone like Naylor who can slot into so many different positions, he could play right back as well if you really wanted him to, um, then I think you've got someone special. So it's another player whose whose qualities come in versatility, in consistency and in leadership, I suppose, as well. Being a good teammate, I think, is crucial to this. Uh, and Naylor has always been exceptionally consistent. So he's one. And he used to play for Burton, which is where my third or my second... What a segue that is. Love it. My second <laughs> uh, my second League One pick is Lucas Aikens. This is kind of pushing the boundaries of Unsung because although I will defend this to the edge of my life, uh, Aikens, he is kind of the poster boy for versatility in, in League One. A lot of people know, and the saying always goes, that... Since he's been at Burton, he's played in every single position apart from goalkeeper. But I, I think it's still worth pointing out that even even since that's been the case, even since his versatility has been something that people know uh, and people love, I think in this current Burton team, he's still the unsung hero. Um, Burton probably have a case for being the, the unsung team in whichever division they're in at, at a certain time. Uh, and with Aikens, it, it's not just that he fills in and plays different positions but plays and interprets different roles within that. And again, always provides um, a little bit of skill, uh, a little bit of, well, he's got good physical presence. We saw him play, George and I, a really interesting role in, in a game at the Kassam earlier in the season where although Boyce was playing nominally up top for Burton, Aikens was kind of playing a, an inside forward role, but kind of as a target man as well, that he was receiving the ball with his back to goal a lot more than you'd expect someone playing a wide role. Uh, and, and his ability to hold it up always playing with his head up, uh, so so willing to play the right pass, even if it's not the flashy one. Um, there's very little flashy about his game, but if you look at the, the numbers that he puts up, I mean, the two seasons in the championship where Burton didn't score many goals, he scored five goals each time. But if you look, ever since he's been in League One, and certainly with Burton, he's good for 10 goals a season. He got 13 and seven assists last year. He's on eight goals with four assists this year. So very much on course for Tem. Uh, and I just think he's the sort of player that you that you want, sort of player that you need, not necessarily particularly flashy as an attacking player, but someone who brings a lot of intelligence to the team, who's known to be a, a wonderful character. And we keep coming back to it. Someone who, if you took them out of the team, uh, you, you can see why you might get a bit excited about someone with maybe a bit more technical skill, a bit flashier, but you'd almost certainly lose plenty of intangibles as well. So Lucas Aikens is my one there. Well, we had a lot of other suggestions for League One players uh, on this. George, we had Michael Smith or Smudge of Rotherham. Mm. Uh, uh, many people wanted him out of the team for his goal record, but he's crucial to the way we play. All the best Rotherham sides have a nine that holds up play. Crooks and others wouldn't have had the same impact without him. That was Michael who suggested that. that. Like it. Um, and Tom Anderson was also put forward. Uh, other names that I thought were quite close, Max Ema of Gillingham probably doesn't get talked about enough. Neil Ardley of Lincoln, Mr. Consistent. Luke 09 of Sunderland as well, just so versatile. Um, and then there was one suggestion, George, from uh, 
Tom Hancock, Wickham fan, which kind of caught our eye, didn't it? Yeah, uh, David Wheeler. Um, it's not often that you get an unsung hero who's a right winger, um, especially someone who's played in the championship as well. But when you start to think about Wheeler as a player, I mean, I think anyone who knows much about him knows he's a very intelligent man. Uh, and that translates to the way he plays football. He's not necessarily someone who's blessed with pace, but he's a very capable footballer. He's a very talented player, very tidy player. Um, and he probably plays for the the unsung side of the EFL as well in Wickham Wanderers. And thankfully, uh, we gave him a call to, to ask him what it's like to be uh, one of the unsung heroes, at least in, in, one, uh, in one fan's opinion, uh, in League One. So Tom, the Wickham fan of Chairboys Central blog that covers Wickham, he put forward David Wheeler. And we found this quite interesting because, as we discussed at the top of the show, uh, there's a sort of general stereotype of an unsung hero, I think, as maybe a, a holding midfield player or certainly not generally attacking players. So when Tom put forward David Wheeler, we thought that was something interesting. So we've got David on the phone to discuss this. Uh, how are you doing, David Wheeler of Wickham Wanderers? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, thanks. How are you? We are fine. We are doing just fine, thank you. First question, uh, are you happy to be singled out as an unsung hero? I feel like as an attacking player, you might fancy a bit more glory than that. Uh, um, yeah, no, I think so. Like, I think um, in in other years, like, I've had, I've been, uh, you know, much more prolific um, in front of goal. Um, and I've got the the sort of, you know the expected praise and attention that I guess you know people would get in that scenario. Like in our in our season at the minute, um, we got um, uh, Bayo Akinfenwa that gets you know a lot of the praise um, and attention for the you know the. The, the you know the form he's in in front of goal mm. and Joe Jacobson again um, another one that's had a brilliant season in front of goal, um, but yeah I think it's it's definitely a positive like to to be appreciated for for doing other aspects of the game. Yeah, how would you define your role in this Wickham side? What does the manager Gareth Ainsworth discuss with you about what he wants you to bring and in the system that Wickham play? Um, I think I'm quite lucky in the sense that um, quite early on I've managed to gain a certain amount of trust in the sense that um, I think that the management trusts that I'm going to I'm going to carry out a role that that, that, that mm. they've asked me to do, um, and I think also trust that you know I'm not going I'm not going to be upset or disappointed if I'm perhaps not playing in a particular role or position that I would want to um, if I was to be you know really picky or selfish about it um, so I think that it's it's to a large degree um, I've I've been used in in different positions to carry out a particular role against an against an opposition mm. um, which you know, perhaps might might explain to some extent why um, I haven't maybe scored as many goals mm. um, because obviously the attention the attention is is slightly more on other things than than has been in the in the past. Might that be something like okay, this Saturday we're playing against a side who 
play a system with a, a flying wing back or something like that, you know, a left wing back that's that's actually very dangerous and could cause us problems uh, with their attacking prowess. And this might be a, a, a job for, for David in terms of really being disciplined with making sure that we can shut down that supply. Exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, it's, um, it's sort of knowing that... Um, I'll do that job and I'm not going to switch off and I'm not going to get tired of it if it's if it's what the team needs. Um, and I think as long as... Uh, I think it's easier to, to have this outlook, to be honest, the now that I'm at the age that I am compared to when I was, say, in my early 20s, for example, um, because you sort of appre- appreciate the bigger picture a bit more. Um, and... Uh, I think as long as the team's successful, I think that you know that's that's the that's the most important thing. Uh, it sounds like it's obviously a very it's a very obvious thing to to say, but um, I think to a large extent, but especially you know even like I would say in my career, like a lot of it's been about my performances, what what I've done, how can I get a move to a higher level, sort of thing. Mm. Whereas um, yeah, like your your perspective changes I think the older you get um and I think like throughout the season the majority of our squad has has demonstrated that selflessness and it's it's sort of paid dividends because you know I think we're <coughs> we're as a club we're punching punching well above our weight this season yeah and, and in order to do that you do need a lot of unselfish players unsung heroes I, I dare say the manager Gareth Ainsworth in the past has been something of an unsung hero obviously getting due credit now for an amazing season amazing well, amazing tenure as a whole as Wickham manager. Uh, you've played under various managers now. Paul Tisdale, of course, with Exeter and also on loan at MK Dons. Uh, Ian Holloway signed you for QPR. Now under Gareth Ainsworth, what's what's been different about him? How have you enjoyed working under him and his management style? Um, I think I think all of the the managers I played for have have their own you know qualities and 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 positives to the their approach. But I think. Um, I think Gareth is very obviously focused on, you know, relationships with his players and you know the the support and understanding that he gives to his players and the, the, the sort of environment that he tries to create, which um, you know is 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 there to help everyone feel comfortable and and able to sort of make make mistakes in a. In, in a safe environment and that they're, they're sort of valued as people as, as, as you know more than they are footballers or at least as much I think at this time where there's no football we're all quite interested to hear how footballers are spending their time so uh, what have you been up to in isolation what have you been focusing on I think we're all looking for things to keep us occupied generally like I I'm quite lucky in the sense that it's probably going to take um quite a long time for me to get bored generally like I, I usually have sort of quite a lot of films and series and books like backlogged that I'm, I want to see or want to read um, but like it's been quite good in some ways for me because I've been able to focus on I'm doing a course at the moment before I went into professional football I did a undergrad in sports science um, and so this course now is I'm doing a part-time masters in sports psychology oh cool um so yeah that's that's what i'm doing at the minute so this is like the first year of a two-year two-year course 
I mean, it's a pretty interesting time for sports psychologists, I imagine. For, for a lot of players, this is such an unusual situation for them to be in. And, and I know that you yourself, as you mentioned, you, you came up through non-league and you've, and you've got an undergraduate's degree, so a sort of atypical entry into football. But for a lot of players, and I dare say some of your teammates, this will be the first time since they were very young where they haven't really had the, the structure of football. How do you think, in general... Footballers are dealing with this slightly unusual circumstance in your, in your sort of, with your expert knowledge of sports psychology. Um, I think there are definitely parallels that can be drawn between people that decide to go into retirement in in a normal workplace, for example. Um, like I think you often hear a lot of stories about people that find the transition really difficult from from going from full time work to to being retired um mm. and i think uh, i think there's going to be like similar things that that crop up in in the coming months with footballers especially seeing as you know our career is generally like very high intense very highly competitive mm. and very highly pressurized um and that comes with you know uh quite good good aspects in terms of you know, you're playing in front of thousands of people every week, so it's, there's a lot of adrenaline, a lot of um, a lot of highs, and uh, yeah, and and you obviously get the the endorphins from from the exercise and all that sort of thing. So um, I think losing that, um, and I think a lot of players, there's, there's sort of documented that a lot of players um, experience this when they retire from the game, mm-hmm. is that they find it very, very difficult to replicate those feelings and, and, and experiences, yeah. um, in any other profession. Um, so I think certainly, especially players that have underlying mental health issues, um, football can often be the thing that helps balance people out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the social, the social aspect as well, obviously you're going into, a workplace with like-minded people doing this, you know, the thing they love every day. Um, and, you know, sort of the camaraderie that, that, that comes with that. And, the, you know, the fact that you're losing that as well, like, can obviously have quite a detrimental effect on people's mental health. So I think it's, it's very, it's very important. And I think it's something that definitely needs to be looked at in, in, you know, the aftermath of this, this pandemic is that there should be I, I feel there should be more sports psychology mental health provision you know in football clubs than there currently is playing for Wickham this season it strikes me as someone doing a course in sports psychology is a pretty good place to be for a, a case study of where sports psychology is is prioritized and is shown to to clearly bring very positive results as well definitely definitely I think um it's to the manager's credit that he allows me to 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 do this course at the same time as as playing and because uh, obviously like some some would take the perspective that it's detracting from from my performances um but you know he's he's actively encouraged it he's allowed me to to leave the training ground earlier than than other players in order to get to lectures and things like that so um he does things with lots of different players um, to a- allow them to develop and improve in other areas, not just football, which I think is very important in 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 his lead in, well in any in any in any leadership role. Brilliant. Well, 
David, thank you so much for, for your time and best of luck with the course and on continuing to occupy yourself while football is on hiatus. Thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers. It's time now for the unsung heroes of League Two, of Ligue 2, as they might say in France. And I'm going to start with a player who plays for one of the teams in that group of top teams in League Two. We've spoken about them quite a lot recently. Uh, certainly their managers have been talked about a lot, both on this pod and on the Going Up, Going Down podcast that we do for The Athletic. Now, the unsung hero of Cheltenham Town, I think, is Chris Hussey. I think there's a very, very good case for him to be the best left-back in League Two. But the left-back that you hear about in League Two is Harry Pickering of Crewe. And you can kind of understand why. Pickering is young, Pickering is very mobile, Pickering is very technical and skillful. And in the modern day, uh, that's kind of what a lot of people are wanting from their full-backs, from their wing-backs. And this is what I like about Hussey. This is why I think he is unsung and why we need to sing about him. Um, sing his name. He, play, he plays, <laughs> right? He plays left wing-back in this Cheltenham 3-5-2. And what do people love about wing-backs when they're mobile, athletic, pacey, when they can take players on, when they've got a lovely whipped delivery? And Hussey's hasn't got many of those things. He doesn't stand out as being particularly athletic he is certainly sturdy and he's certainly got a, a decent defensive frame and plenty of defensive nows but the, the main thing that stands out with him is he does have the most beautiful delivery and I don't know what it is about it but people don't talk about it enough um, he is so accurate from out wide uh, from set pieces and he adds so much to this Cheltenham team not least because he's part of a defense that is the best defense in the whole EFL and I think where a lot of like I'll be honest, the wing-backs that catch my eye is because they're really good going forward and that and that sort of stands out to me and that excites me. But that's not necessarily the primary job of any full-back or wing-back. Realistically, at the very least, you want them to be part of a decent back line and, and Hussey is part of the best back line. He's also got, in my eyes, the best delivery out of any full-back from, from League Two. Uh, and because he's kind of old and because he's not particularly flashy, uh, people don't talk about him enough. So Chris Hussey, certainly a, a, an unsung hero of mine from uh, League Two. My other one is Anthony Grant of Swindon. Swindon fans hopefully will be nodding along because I know he's a really popular within Swindon. But if you think about Grant and his career so far, you can understand why when he signed for Swindon in the summer, it wasn't considered to be a big coup. You know, you look back at some of the other players they signed, Lloyd Isgrove, Zeki Friars, Owen Doyle, of course, once he started scoring goals, Jerry Yates on loan from Rotherham. Probably, it's fair to say, the man that provides the most balance to this Swindon team, which is the joint top best team in League Two, is Grant. As a defensive midfield player, he is almost ever-present. And when you know that Wellens has a few different systems he likes to play, a few different formations, and different players have different roles within that, the constant, really, is Anthony Grant. So he's the one that allows Michael Doughty to play forward when they need Doughty to unlock a, a deep defence. He's the one that is going to have to deal with uh, transitions and counter-attacks when Swindon have committed full-backs and four attacking players forward, possibly the other central midfield player as well. They say that 70.8% of the 
Earth's surface is covered in water uh, and the rest is covered by Anthony Grant. So um, th- that's what unsung heroes are. They are the balancers. They are crucial to the balance of good teams and that's what Grant is for me. So he is certainly my second nod for League Two unsung hero. There's a uh, there's a very good tweet I saw earlier. Um, but before you said you were going to do Grant and I was thinking about it, of somebody saying Anthony Grant when the opposition has the ball and it is a picture of somebody opening a front door and then someone running and two-footing the front door into their face, uh, which I just thought was quite nice. funny. I think that, that kind of sums them, up in a, sums them up in a video, in a gif. Who have you got for me in League Two? Well, you said when you're talking about Pickering, uh, you described the crew left back as young, mobile, technical and skillful. And I think that applies... So most of the players that get a lot of credit at crew in this crew team, whether it's Harry Pickering, whether it's Perry and G, whether it's Charlie Kirk, Tommy Lowry, and also Ryan Winton as well. He who plays in a more withdrawn role. He plays he's kind of in the middle of that midfield three in their four-three-three. Uh, and he's somebody who has to do a lot of the running for Paul Green, 36-year-old Paul Green to his right hand side. Um, but he's been a big part of the turnaround and fortunes of crew over the last. 12 to 18 months. Interestingly, on the crew uh, official website on the 18th of March last year, there is an article. This is ridiculous. There's an article which is basically just David Artell saying that he thinks that Royal Wintel is very hard done by by not winning the Man of the Match award after a 6 1 uh, victory at Gresty Roads, um, which I think if there's anything that sums up being an unsung hero more than a manager doing a press release just saying that. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Green must have been sponsoring the game because Ryan was terrific. <laughs> I think that's it. And it's so true. And then the quote at the end kind of sums up Wintle as a player perfectly. Artel says, he reads the game so well and is always effective for us in there. He breaks things up and also gets on the ball and gets us playing. If he can carry on at the level he's going, he's going to have a really bright future in the game. And that, I think, reads the game well. He's effective, breaks things up and gets on the ball and gets us playing. They are kind of the four checklist bits that you want to be an unsung hero. He's added goals to his game this season as well, given his kind of withdrawn role. Um, his tally so far with three goals and four assists is really impressive. And he's, he's just somebody, all the all the attacking talent on the wings, especially Pickering and G, Kirk, all of that talent and, and Paolo should, uh, should add as well. It wouldn't really work unless you had people knitting it together in the middle of the park. And that midfield three of, of Wintel, Lowry and Green is so effective, but Wintle is, is the key player in that and somebody who deserves big credit. I like the idea that he is spending some of his time in isolation knitting scarves, knitting woolly hats, maybe, <laughs> just like he knits together the Crew Alexandra uh, play. Uh, we've got a few suggestions, of course, in League Two. There are a couple that just missed out here. Alex Kenyon uh, of Morecambe, that was suggested by Matt Sieg. Uh, you wanted to do Charlie Raglan before I wrestled uh, wrestled you for Chris Hussey, uh, Raglan, also an unsung hero of that Cheltenham team. And we also had the Port Vale lolly uh, making a very good point about Scott Burgess of of Vale, unheralded when he's unheralded rather when he signed. He's played 29 games for us and we've only lost four. One of those was away at Man City. <laughs> I've yet to see him. I've yet to see him misplace a pass. You can pinpoint his introduction to the side with when we started to click, when we stopped looking mid table and started looking playoffs. Massively underrated positional sense, which keeps our shape perfect and a quality engine. Yeah, I just had to check out that pass completion rate after reading that just to make sure that it wasn't 100%. And it was it was 77.4%, I think, which isn't one of the best in League Two, but very much is the best of any Port Vale player. So maybe it, it, 
Maybe, it adds up. It maybe adds Port Vale Lolly only watches three quarters of the game and just ha- <laughs> happens to miss the uh, quarter of Scott Burgess passes that go astray. Uh, Glenn Morris got a shout from Daniel Jones, the best goalkeeper in League Two. It's hard to argue with that, really. Uh, and for Argyle, it would have to be Byron Moore or Connor Grant, is what we've been told. That's it for this week's pod. Hope you're continuing to enjoy the NTT20 content, this pod, the Going Up, Going Down pod for The Athletic, uh, our weekend quizzes as well, and the live stream on a Sunday night, which we're really enjoying. Keep an eye out for a new interview series that should be launching uh, this week. It's not finally concluded yet, but keep an eye out. There should be something new and something we're really excited about. George, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you as always. And you, mate. I'm sure we'll speak this afternoon. Looking forward to hearing more about this Concord Rangers uh, playoff assault at, yeah, some point, and me. at some point this afternoon. 